Open your Bibles, please, to Psalm 34. We have already had given to us a great deal of spiritual truth and spiritual religion. I'm very thankful for the songs that were selected already this morning. Very thankful for the scriptures that were read. All of them were pertinent, powerful, weighty. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your scriptures and giving us songwriters in the history of your church for us to be able to sing songs like that. For those of you that are listening to this via the website or other means, we have already had read this morning Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 16 through 19, Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 18 through 20, Psalm 73 in its entirety, Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 39, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 18. These passages of Scripture tell us about the proper scriptural attitude toward affliction. And we are thankful. In Psalm 34, which ought to be one of your favorite psalms in time of trouble, I want to point out to you verse 4. I sought the Lord... And he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. I hope that every one of you aged Christians know that this verse has been true in your life multiple times. Verse 6, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. I hope that you know that that verse is true as well. Now this is David. And David suffered serious afflictions throughout his life. The overlooked last son of his father Jesse until the last day in his bed when Adonijah is trying to take the kingdom from his designated appointee Solomon. He suffered affliction. He was chased by Saul. He was chased by Absalom. And yet he was able to say that he sought the Lord and was delivered from all his fears. I'd like to point out right here, in case I don't get to this point later, and we will finish this subject today, that even a man after God's own heart is sometimes afraid. Just like a man like Habakkuk could be trembling inside, as Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 16 described him. So when you're afraid, because something has come into your life, don't fret about that and don't let the devil throw a fiery dart at you that you don't have any faith. Because this was a man of faith. Sometimes we're afraid in our flesh. Paul said sometimes we get cast down, we just don't let it destroy us. And see, the fear here didn't cast David down because he responded to the fear by praying. Verse 4 says, I sought the Lord and He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. If you give up on religion because you're afraid, thinking God's not going to help you, then you're not just cast down, you're destroyed. Now that was David in verses 4 and 6, but we come over to verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and His ears are open unto their cry. Verse 17, the righteous cry, and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. Notice the language is the same as for David. 
we can be like David and have God's deliverances like David had God's deliverances by being righteous, living rightly. Verse 19, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. I hope that you understand metaphors in songs, which are psalms in the Bible. That though God might bring an affliction upon you that breaks your bones, He will not suffer your bones to be broken, though He breaks your bones. If you don't understand that, we've got to go back to the ABCs of reading the psalms. This is a metaphor. Nothing serious is going to happen to you. These are all little hangnails. He will not suffer a bone to be broken. Verse 20, He keepeth all His bones, and He delivers us out of our afflictions. Though sometimes they might involve a broken bone. They might involve a broken heart. From a natural standpoint. This is Psalm 34. I hope that you know it, and I hope that it's in your short list of psalms, to go to when you're afraid or troubled. I know that in 1984, the Lord preserved my soul with the 22nd verse of this psalm. The Lord redeemeth the soul of His servants, and none of them that trust in Him shall be desolate. An event in my life, one of the larger events in my life, had happened in Michigan to me in 1984, and the Lord gave me such peace in the middle of the night from this one verse. And the reason I tell you that is not to talk about me, but to talk about the value of knowing God's Word and where to turn. Because I was scared and troubled and thought I was going to be left alone with my faith in this world. I went to Psalm 34 because I already knew Because it had one of my comforting verses in it, which is verse 7. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear Him and delivereth them. Because of that verse, I had known that the rest of the chapter was also very good with comfort. And so that 22nd verse was very comforting. The last part of it, none of them that trust in Him shall be desolate. I thought for a moment, I was like Asaph, My feet had well nigh slipped. I thought for a moment that I would be left alone with my faith in the world. At the singing I just heard a few minutes ago, I have not been left desolate. The noise that was ringing off these walls was wonderful. And it should have lifted your soul. But the words that we sang should have lifted your souls even more. They were wonderful words. Psalm 34, I just share it with you. It's a place to go. Verse 19 tells us, Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Many. But the Lord delivereth him out of them all. One way or another, the Lord's going to deliver us out of them all. David suffered so many afflictions during his life, but uh, who would not want to die the death of David? Although my house be not so with God... Yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things, and sure. And this is all my salvation, and all my desire, although he make it not to grow. He had a bunch of rebel derelicts in his family tree, 
And that did not move him. He was thankful that God had made a covenant with him that he would have a son that would sit on the throne of heaven forever. Amen. And the Lord Jesus sits there today. I showed you this morning from Habakkuk chapter 3 in the last four verses that in spite of total economic failure and great trouble, it is possible to rejoice in the God of your salvation. It is possible to dance with hinds feet. It is possible to walk again in your high places. The Lord God is my strength. The Lord God is my salvation. The Lord God is my joy. He never changes. If on, if in your best day, you can learn some things about God that cause joy to your heart, in your worst day, God hasn't changed. Right. What has changed? You have changed. So let's not change. Amen. Let's put our faith and trust in God. Look at Isaiah chapter 26. Isaiah 26, from which the words that we just sang in the last hymn are really taken. Isaiah chapter 26. These all, all these verses go together. You know, you heard Brady read to you this morning from Romans chapter 8 that in all these things, nakedness and peril and sword, we're talking about losing your life and none of you are threatened with losing your life for the cause of Christ. Not even close. You haven't even shed a drop of blood We are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. How are we more than conquerors? Because He is working all things together for our good. He is working them together. It is one comprehensive plan for your life that has every event in it coming together for His glory and your profit because you are called according to His purpose. God has a purpose for you and it's not the 40 days of drivel purpose. The purpose is that He's going to resurrect you from the dead and have you in heaven as, as His own. Right. We are more than conquerors because we can never be separated from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No one is going to take that away from us. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. Thou wilt keep Him in perfect peace. Thou wilt keep Him in perfect peace. God is able to give perfect peace. God will give perfect peace. Thou wilt keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on Thee because He trusteth in Thee. The Holy Spirit inside you is able to give you a peace that passes understanding as Brother Newell explained from Philippians chapter 4 Verses 6 and 7. Here's a counterpart to it in the Old Testament. Isaiah 26. Perfect peace. Not some peace. A little peace. Helpful peace. Perfect peace. Because He trusteth in thee. When we trust in the Lord, when He knows that the foundations of our life are shaking, that our bowels are trembling, that rottenness is in our bones. He knows that. He knows it better than you know it at your deepest comprehension of it. He knows it. And if we'll put our trust in Thee, Lord, I don't know how I'm ever going to get out of this, but my trust is in Thee. He will give you perfect peace. Just turn it over to Him. 
Stop fretting, stop worrying, and stop trying to deliver yourself. Let the Lord deliver you. Verse 4, trust ye in the Lord forever. I mean, once the promise is made of verse 3, then the exhortation comes in verse 4. Trust ye in the Lord forever. Brothers and sisters, let us always trust in the Lord forever. For in the Lord Jehovah, one of the few occurrences in the Bible where our translators brought that word Jehovah through, rather than giving it Lord, otherwise we would have Lord, Lord. We have Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for everlasting strength because Thou art the Lord Jehovah and our tiny little circumstances down here do not dull or dent Your power and Your glory and Your love and desire for our profit. Help us to believe that. I have said enough. In way of introduction, I have said enough that afflictions are from the Lord. I have said enough that afflictions are for good reason when I gave to you the five categories of reasons of afflictions in the lives of God's children. So I want to move ahead. Let's go to James chapter 1. And this is a passage that we want to remember and embrace. James chapter 1. We are dealing with afflictions in the lives of Christians. Afflictions can be all kinds of things as I listed to you last Lord's Day. They can be in our hearts, they can be in our minds, they can be in our bodies, they can be in our bank accounts, they can be on the job, they can be in our relationships, they can be a bad hair day. I mean, it can just be anything that you consider affliction that's bothering, troubling, tempting, trying, and discouraging you. And they come in all sorts, and they come at different times, and sometimes they come together. Job had quite the experience while he was hearing one messenger tell him that one part of his entire existence on earth, other than health, had just been destroyed, the other messenger arrived. Then another messenger arrived. Then another messenger arrived until he was left destitute with his uh, friends coming shortly. James 1-2 My brethren, hear the Lord speak to you by one of His apostles. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. The perfect Christian, according to this passage, is a Christian that has learned patience. Patience can make you perfect and entire. But you want to let patience have its perfect work. That means cheerfully enduring the negative events. Not screaming about them, not crying about them, not giving up about them, not babbling to other people about them, cheerfully enduring them. So that as is usually the case, we don't even know about the afflictions in your lives. Every person in here has multiple afflictions right now. But we don't get together for self-pity parties because we should be cheerfully enduring them and even seeking to ignore them ourselves where we don't have something specific from God's Word to do about them. My brethren, count it all joy 
Now when the Bible says something like this, there's part of us inside that say, that's just too extreme. That's just bizarre. That's weird. Count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations. Different kinds of temptations. Trials, troubles, pain, difficulties. I should count it all joy? Yes. On this basis. And I love this little verb here for us. Knowing this. There's an explanation. There's an explanation. You don't need to wonder how or why. The explanation is right there in verse 3. Knowing this. That the trying of your faith worketh patience. God can't teach you patience without affliction. And when, as soon as you know that, as soon as you know that, it should result in joy. Because God can't make you the perfect Christian you should want to be until He brings affliction into your life. But let affliction have its perfect work. Let patience have her perfect work by cheerfully enduring those things. So it's my brethren. It's personal. It's wonderful. From the apostle to the 12 tribes scattered abroad and to us way over here in the United States of America 2,000 years later. You need to learn what is taught here so that you know it. This is so, this is a large part of the cure or the antidote for affliction and discouragement is just that word that starts out verse three, knowing this. Know this. God has sent them to perfect you. So when they come, embrace them. The men from the last men's meeting we had 11 days ago were told, embrace challenges. When school is hard, embrace it because that's the best class you're taking. When a class is easy, it is not benefiting you because you are not learning enough to justify the tuition and textbooks. But when a class is hard, you are learning something that separates you from other men. And we want to separate ourselves from other Christians, not for our praise, but the praise of the Lord Jesus Christ by being perfect and entire Christians, mature and complete Christians, total Christians. And how do we become that? We have to have affliction and trials and tribulations in our lives, and we have to endure them cheerfully, because that shows the character that makes a great Christian. And we know that from verse 3. We want to, we want to remember it. So I'm here at this passage that you have heard so many times. The reason that you can have joy in verse 2 is because you know the reason for the trial from verse 3. Knowing this. Simple. So whatever's going to come today in your life, whatever's going to come tomorrow, be ready. It's coming. It's not if they're going to come. It's when they're going to come. Be ready. No, as soon as it happens, as soon as something negative happens, as soon as a piece of equipment fails, and as soon as you find out that what failed is going to cost that day's profit, as soon as that happens, embrace it. I just got a quiz from heaven. Are you a real Christian? From heaven. And what's a real Christian going to do? Grin and bear it. Rejoice and dance. I'm just going to finish out this day and pay for that repair. And tomorrow will be a better day than this one 
because I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Can we do it all the time easily without fail? Hardly. Can we do it most of the time? Yes. Does God give us strength? If you were paying attention, Brother James read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and this was the second week I had that read to you. Chris read it last Lord's Day because I wanted you to hear that passage on how Paul dealt with things. He was troubled on every side, but he did not let it destroy him. And he mentions in the middle of that passage, it's verse 16, that God supplies strength each day to renew us in our inner man. That 24-hour cycle is not evolutionary. That 24-hour cycle is not invented by any man. That 24-hour cycle is from the Lord. And when you go to bed at night and commit your way to Him, and you're putting your trust in Him, He will give you peace And you will arise in the morning with a combined benefit of two things. A rested mind and body and an increased strength in your inner man. That was 2 Corinthians 4, 16. Very important. He renews our strength day by day. Sufficient unto a day is the evil thereof. If we had to live mentally with a week or a month or a year overwhelming our minds, we couldn't do it. It's just one day at a time. A successful life lived is living each day successfully. So that you end up with a string of successful days. We can get overwhelmed thinking about the future. But we can, we can handle one day. Usually. Usually we can handle one day. So let's just live one day right and the Lord will strengthen us. Knowing this, that when something bad happens in that day, it's for our patience to be perfect Christians. Look at Romans chapter 5 where hopefully you read last evening, Romans chapter 5. What a chapter, Romans 5. Verses 6 through 21, we rejoice in regarding our salvation in Christ. But there's grace that we're standing in right now. We're standing in grace. If we could see grace materialized, there would be these beams coming down from heaven surrounding our lives. Now, I don't, I don't think we need that, but, you know, some of you grew up on cartoons. You know, there's this beam coming down from Almighty God around you, and it's the grace wherein you stand now. We have phases of salvation, and it is practical grace that surrounds us and is flowing down upon us. And angels are ascending and descending upon us. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Listen, if Jacob had angels ascending and descending upon him, you are way past Jacob. Because you have the Lord Jesus Christ at the right hand of God interceding for you. And the angel of the Lord, even for David, was encamping round about them that feared him. Look at this verse. This passage. Five verses. Starting at verse 1. Therefore, and you know what chapters 3 and 4 were all about. It's about our justification before God by Jesus Christ. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. By whom also? Jesus Christ has secured something else for us. By whom also we have access by faith, while you're a believer, while you're trusting in God, into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. There, 
practical conversion puts us in a standing before God, in a relationship with God, of fellowship with God that is called grace here, and we stand in it and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. God practically through the gospel, God vitally by regeneration supplies our spirit with joy and peace and hope in God. The justification was taken care of by Christ. As soon as we believe it, we have peace in our minds with God because we've been reconciled from our standpoint with our Heavenly Father. But we also, verse 2, has also meaning, I have two things under consideration here. Faith also gets us into grace wherein we stand, where God fills us with hope of the glory of God. And Romans fifteen thirteen supplies the answer and explanation to this so well. The God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Because the Holy Spirit's about to be mentioned, but there's something else that we want here. And not only so. Those are two wonderful things in verses 1 and 2. And not only so are we hoping for the glory of God. Are we rejoicing? Not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. This is just like James 1, 2, and 4. The similarities here are very close because there's only one author in the Bible. And it's the Holy Ghost. There are, multi, there are 40 writers, but one author. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. You know, we're hoping for the glory of God when we're in heaven with Him someday with glorified bodies. That's real glory, when our bodies are glorified. But there's other glory that we can have now. And that glory is to have when we experience tribulations. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Now look at the word, knowing. Knowing that. Back there in James chapter 1 verse 3 it said, Knowing this. Here it says, Knowing that. What are we supposed to know here? Knowing that tribulation worketh patience. I hope that you can see it very clearly. That we're supposed to know something. He's assuming the knowledge of it. Tribulation worketh patience. Patience experience. Experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. The Holy Ghost tells us in our hearts that we are God's and that God loves us. And though bad things are happening to us in this life, they don't really mean that much. Our hope can be steadfast because the Lord is telling us Himself that He loves us. And it works this way. Tribulations come into your life and you get excited about them because you know something. In this Third verse, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. You can't learn patience without tribulation, just like James wrote from one author. And patience experience and experience hope. So tribulation comes, a bad event comes, we get gut punched. We cheerfully endure it by putting our trust in the Lord and say, Lord, I am going to rejoice and dance today anyway. That is patience. Patience then, when it happens yesterday and it happens tomorrow and it happens the following week and it happens the following month and you endure these tribulations the same way, they build experience. Lord, you've delivered me from so many things in the past. I know you're going to deliver me in the future. You've given me the strength to be cheerful about negative events in the past. I know you can give me strength to be cheerful for the future. That's called experience because you know how things work. The first time you get gut-punched, 
and you're old enough to be conscious of the fact that you got gut punched. How long does that? It takes a while, isn't it? I mean, kids don't even know what's going on in the world. You know, the president can be assassinated or the, the, the world could come to an end. We get a whole new form of government and uh, they go to the same school and they think that everything's still okay because that's just the way it is. Uh, you're really bright. I'll just leave it there. But, you, but as soon as we get a little bit older, bam, bam, we start getting hit with things, tribulations. But when we endure them, as we grow and we get through a number of them, it gives us experience. And that experience leads us to hope that our future is bright. And we will never be ashamed of our hope because it gets a little scary. You know, Lord, you've got me through a whole bunch, but what if you send me the big one? What if you send me a larger one? Or what's death going to do to me? But you are ready for it by your experience and the fact that God is shedding abroad in your heart that He loves you. And thus, these three verses, there's, there's a word in each one that I want you to, the two passages that I've just given you, called knowing. There is something for you to know to handle affliction. God is making you perfect. He is never going to give you more than you can bear. He is always going to give you a way to escape because He is faithful. And if you will put your trust in Him, like the songs that we sang this morning and the passages of Scripture we had read to us, if you will embrace that God and cast yourself upon Him, He will take care of you. You will get through that tribulation. And then you will gain an experience. You'll be able to comfort others with the comfort wherewith He hath comforted you. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Thank you, Lord, for such a simple little lesson. We've been over it so many times before, but we tend to forget it. When something bad happens, embrace it. Lord, teach me everything you want me to learn from this event. I trust you. I know that you will never desert me. I know that in faithfulness you afflict me. Teach me. I want to be perfect and entire before you. He'll give you peace that passes understanding. It, to the degree that you take your eyes off the living God. Right. He hasn't changed one whit. You have some, and forgive me everyone, because I know it upsets you and irritates you to a certain degree. Every time you let your little circumstances, right. your little circumstances, take your eyes off His greatness, you are at sea without compass or rudder, and you are going to suffer. There is perfect peace only for the man that trusts in Him. If you forget Him and get your eyes off Him and start thinking about, oh my life, am I going to have to bear this the rest of my life? Am I going to have to bear this the rest of the week? Am I going to have to bear this the rest of the day? You know, if you start thinking that way and not thinking about Him, thank you, Lord. You were with me in the beginning before the world was created. Amen. You knew my name and had it inscribed in the palms of your hand. And you're going to be with me when I pass through the curtain of death. This little thing, you can certainly help me through. Right. It's got to be our attitude. First right. Corinthians 10.13. Let's go there. First Corinthians 10.13. Thank you, Heavenly Father for putting in your divine library many, many passages to comfort us when we're afflicted. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you for never forgetting Abel. 
That was some pretty serious affliction. He was killed. Thank you for showing us a whole chapter about Hagar in Genesis 16, where she renamed God, Thou God seest me. And she called His name that from, from beginning to end. Thank you, Lord, for telling us that if we overcome, You're going to give us all things at the end of our Bibles. 1 Corinthians 10.13, we thank Thee for this verse as well. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. A wonderful verse. Remember it. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. I'll have more to say on that in a moment. One of the errors of our flesh is to think, to presume, and it's because of pride, that our afflictions are worse than someone else's afflictions. And that is a devastating choice to make. Because if God has singled you out in your twisted mind to judge you and punish you more than others, how will you bear up under that? That is wrong thinking. And so we have this verse. There hath no temptation. It doesn't matter. You can throw at me anything you want. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Now I know that sitting here today, some of you want to tell me you wish you could have the podium to describe the fact that your temptation is worse than the rest of ours. But we would soundly boo you out of this house. You don't know what you're talking about. It is your selfish pride that wants to focus on your infirmities and afflictions and make them worse than the rest of ours. What God does, though, is in each of our lives, they are a little different in kind, in type, in duration, in in their consequences, in the buffeting they cause us. And so some are not as visible. Some are all internal. Others may be very visible. Others may be very well known. And there are people sitting in here right now with burdens and that have suffered affliction and tribulation on the inside that you don't know anything about. Some are more melancholy and and can be hurt more on the inside than others can be. Some don't have an inside. You know what I mean. You You know what I mean. Some don't have an inside. It just bounces off them. Because they don't have this big throbbing mess inside called a melancholy heart that just takes everything so personal and so painful. And so there can be those people that have that big throbbing mess inside and it usually ends up in a mess that are sitting here and you don't even know what they're going through and they're going through something worse than what you're going through and it's visible because your arm is in a sling. Because you broke your arm and everyone can see it. And you're going through life thinking, you know, Psalm 34 isn't true for me because he broke my arm. I had a car wreck. And you're just thinking how a stupid little arm, it's going to heal stronger than it was before. Go get some x-rays of it. Embrace it. Thank the Lord for witty inventions. Thank the Lord for being wonderfully and fearfully made. But you're sitting next to a person that wonders why you're discouraged about your broken arm. Because they're about to die of a broken heart. 
And so here we are, we're all sitting as a congregation, and the Lord says, Folks, let me straighten something out. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. And we believe it. And we explain it, and we think about it, and we say, yes, Lord, you're right. You're right. Because they're, they're of different kinds, they're of different durations, they affect different parts of our lives, but the accumulated grief that they cause us, according to God's Word, is comparable. Common. More on that, because it's very important. But God is faithful. Wow, this this part of the verse is very important. God is faithful. Where do you tribute? Where do your tribulations come from? From God. But God is faithful. If you think for a minute that bad events come from the devil and good events come from God, you are at risk in your soul because then the devil, you he is not faithful. But bad events come from the Lord as much as good events. They just aren't His preferred way of treating us. He doth not afflict us willingly. Some of you read that last evening in Lamentations chapter 3. But God is faithful. Afflictions are negative bad events. In the Bible they're called evil events. When the word evil is used in the Bible in this sense, it doesn't mean sin or wickedness. It means trouble, pain, and distress, and difficulty. When the Bible says in Isaiah 45, 7, I, the Lord, create evil. That doesn't mean He creates sin. It means He creates trouble. In Amos chapter 3 and verse 6, when it says, Can there be evil in a city and the Lord hath not sent it? No, there can't be. Because all evil comes from the Lord, otherwise He wouldn't let it happen. So evil means trouble. The Lord sends good and evil. He sends prosperity and He sends adversity. Mrs. Job didn't know that. So Mr. Job was upset at her for opening her mouth and saying that he ought to curse God. And he said, don't be like the other foolish women and I don't want a single foolish church member in this church. God sends both. And God is faithful. Do Do you know that we rely on God's faithfulness practically to forgive us our sins? When the Bible says if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We rely on His faithfulness to keep His promise to remember Christ's payment for our sins and to forgive us. When it comes to an affliction coming into your life, God is faithful. Don't take away His faithfulness. He is faithful. He will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. He knows your ability. Every good father sitting in this assembly, every good father you sitting in this assembly have had, knew that a 13-year-old could do more than a 3-year-old. Or put differently, he didn't require from a 3-year-old what he required from a 13-year-old. Every father knows that. And the Bible wants us to remember that God is a father better than us. And like as a father pitieth his children, Psalm 103 verse 13, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. He remembereth their frame. He knoweth that they are dust. And so it says here, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. Every one of you in here 
are able. You have ability. Sufficient ability to handle everything God's throwing at you right now. You can cheerfully endure it. Because God is faithful. And God knows you better than you know you. God knows you well enough as to just how far He can push you to make you perfect without breaking you. If foolish drill sergeants, if foolish training commanders and officers of Navy SEAL programs and other elite military institutions know how to push men just so far, how much more does our Heavenly Father know? If coaches during two-a-days and on hot summer days know how far they can push athletes to get the best out of them without breaking them, if foolish men can figure that out, how much more our Heavenly Father? God is faithful. God is faithful. Don't ever lose hold of that. You are lost if you lose hold of that. God is faithful. He will not suffer you. He will not permit or allow anything to happen in your life that you are not able to bear. But He will, because He's faithful with the temptation, also make a way to escape. That word also means that He sends them both. He sends the temptation and He sends the way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. That's how He knows you're going to be able to bear it because He never puts on you more than you're able to bear. At times, I, I hope that you appreciated Habakkuk 3, 16 through 19. I appreciated it. I read that 16th verse and thought, wow, I've been in that 16th verse when I've been gut punched in my life. Thank you, Lord, for putting that there. I've always gone to verse 17 and just read the last three verses, but the Lord just impressed upon me the 16th verse is being crucial and very important to understanding the passage I have felt that rottenness in my bones, in my bowels, my stomach just tightening up and turning and fear gripping me and my blood running cold or it feels like it's running cold and shaking and trembling. And I love the, the Bible is so graphic. We can get right into it and say, I know that. But then he says, although and yet. I'll rejoice and I'll dance and I'll be thankful and happy and the Lord will put me back on my high places. He's going to take care of us because He's faithful. God's not going to put on you anything that you can't handle. First right. Right. Corinthians 10.13, it's one of the rules. You want to remember this verse and you want to focus like a laser right into the middle of the verse where it says, but God is faithful who will not suffer anything to happen to you that you can't bear. But if you take your eyes off Him, it will overwhelm you. Because he's going to bring you lower. Because you haven't learned to trust him yet. One of the rules to get rid of affliction is to put your trust in the Lord and to put it all in the Lord. To dance and to rejoice and to be thankful and to be happy in affliction. That means you don't need the lesson. You don't need the lesson. Because you're already responding properly. God is faithful. God took David down. When he was living among the Philistines, he lived in a little place called Ziklag. It doesn't have quite the ring of Bethlehem. He was living among the Philistines in Ziklag. The Philistines and Israel were fighting. What's David going to do? Does David have a heart for the house of the Lord? Does he want to defend Jerusalem with his life? 
If he tries to go and join the Israelite side, who's going to kill him? Saul. If he tries to go join the Philistine side like he did, who's going to kill him? Everybody but the king of Ziklag or of Gath that was his friend. And the king of Gath said, David, you can't fight with us today because uh, the other the other Philistine generals think and they fear that you know, once the battle gets going, you could be a real thorn in our backsides. Oh, me? Uh, but uh, the king of Gath said, go home. Let us fight this battle. So there's poor David. You know how that would have broken his heart to know that there was a battle going on and he wasn't there to fight the Lord's enemies? They had a hard several days to get back to Ziklag. And when they crested a hill, the whole city of Ziklag had been burned to the ground. The Amalekites had taken all of his wives, all of his children, everything he owned, and all the wives, children, and everything owned by his friends that were in his band. And they wanted to stone him for the grief that he had brought in their lives because of his feud with King Saul that was all Saul's fault. They wanted to stone him. 1 Samuel chapter 30. All his chosen mighty men that were with him at that time wanted to stone him. It says he encouraged himself in the Lord. Yes. He encouraged himself in the Lord, and he said, you know, Lord, we're exhausted. What do we do? Go after them. He went after them, recovered everything, wiped out the Amalekites that had taken them captive, and the Lord blessed him. But how do we encourage ourselves in the Lord? It's to go to verses like this and remind ourselves God is faithful that we can be more than conquerors through him that loved us, that there is perfect peace waiting for those that trust in him, that though those six descriptions of economic failure were to occur, we can still dance. And that dance gives far more glory to God than when your husband comes home with a 20% pay increase and you do some dancing on your way to Rick Irwin's. That kind of dancing doesn't get him as much as the dancing when something bad has happened to you, but you tell him, I know that you haven't changed. Your word hasn't changed. You still love me, and I still love you. And though you slay me, yet will I trust in thee. Amen. That's out of Job. Look at Job chapter 34. Job 34. God will not allow a temptation to exceed your ability. That's comforting. Sometimes we feel overwhelmed. But when we're overwhelmed, there's a verse for you. It's Psalm 61 and verse 2. Now you're turning to Job 34 because that is where I'm headed. But I'm chasing a rabbit at the moment. Psalm 61 and verse 2. Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. There's a rock that is higher than you. There is a rock. Do you know how much a rock changes? It doesn't change. It is the stability in your life. And that is to where you ought to go when your heart is overwhelmed. David had a heart. David had a throbbing heart inside his body. One third of the Psalms describe his grief and his anguish and missing the house of God and his tears and his crying. He said he made his bed to swim. He cried so much. David was afflicted and affected by afflictions. But he tells us in Psalm 61 and verse 2, from the end of the earth, no matter how far I'm driven away, 
from the house of God by Saul or by Absalom, when my heart is overwhelmed, hear my cry, O Lord, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. That is where we always must go. Lord, you've got to be my rock. You've got to be my fortress. You've got to be my high tower. I want to run and hide in that high tower. Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, we should always turn to the Lord and ask Him to lead us to the rock that is higher than I. Back to Job 34, and we want the 23rd verse. For He will not lay upon man more than right, that he should enter into judgment with God. Oh, that verse is good. And it's true. And it backs up 1 Corinthians 10.13. For He will not lay upon man more than right. Whatever God does to us, we deserve it. It's fair. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. It's grace and mercy. It's far better than we deserve. It's, it's far better than fair. He will not lay upon man more than right that he should enter into judgment with God. Because God is righteous, because the Bible says, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? He'll never put upon you more than is right. And it's going to always be less than really right. It's going to be less than when you could call him into question that he hasn't been fair with you. Because he's been more than fair with all of us. Don't. My brethren, don't be selfish. Don't be proud to think that your temptations or your afflictions are different or or, are worse than others and that God has singled you out. That will help destroy you. Learn to think about the sensitive hearts in the church, about the things that you don't know about. You don't know about 90% of what's going on in the church. Think about those people instead of thinking about yourself. Thinking about yourself is the most destructive thing you can ever do. Think about the Lord and think about others. Put your trust in Him. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And Heavenly Father, help me to think about my brothers and sisters that are suffering more than I am. That is always, if that were always the attitude of all of us, we would have a perfect church when it comes to patience and dealing with afflictions. There's only one Job. And you're not him. Remember that. You're not even close to him. You can't even imagine him. Let's be fair with the word of God. Look at first Peter chapter four, and this is the last point before we break. First Peter chapter four. Heavenly Father, you've given us so much. You want to comfort us. You've given us the Lord Jesus Christ. You've given us Hagar. You've given us David. You've given us Job. You've given us Paul in the New Testament. You've given us John the Baptist who had to go to his death not even sure who the Lord Jesus Christ was. We're so blessed. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, look at this tender word that Peter addresses these Jews Many, many, many miles away across the Mediterranean Sea. Beloved, think it not strange. This is what I want to say to you right now. Those words. My brethren, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. Don't think it strange because it's not strange. 
It's common. It's usual. It's ordinary. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But rejoice! Don't be thinking, why does this happen to me when I'm a Christian? Don't think it's strange for bad events to occur in your life. But rejoice inasmuch, here's the reason in this passage, as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings. When God brings pain and trouble into your life and causes some suffering in your life, you get to show and be more like the Lord Jesus Christ than you had been before because you get to partake in His sufferings. He suffered for you. He wants to see if you have a little bit of willingness to suffer for Him. You know, that equation right there crushes us. That equation right there should make us very guilty for ever having mentioned any of the little hangnails we've had. Do you understand that? This is how we fellowship with Him. Rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you aren't willing to suffer with Christ now, there isn't the evidence that you're going to rejoice with Him in glory when He comes. Because real Christians have such faith in Him, the faith is a whole lot more than coming forward and inviting Jesus into your heart. The faith of a real Christian is willing to embrace sufferings because Jesus died for me. Surely I can put up with a little bit of difficulty in my life. So rejoice in as much as that equation is being written in your life. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. Listen to these words. On their part, he is evil spoken of. But on your part, he is glorified. They're blaspheming him as your persecutors. But you being the persecuted one that is happy, God's being glorified by you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Those are all sins we don't want to have anything to do with. Verse 16, yet, if any man suffers a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. It is not a strange thing. Jesus told his apostles just before he died, in the world ye shall have tribulation, but rejoice, I have overcome the world. Paul, in Acts 14, exhorted the disciples that we through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. It's the life of us to have negative events. Sometimes the negative events in a Christian's life will exceed the negative events in a wicked man's life, which was what was bothering Asaph in Psalm 73. That didn't make sense to him. I'm cleansing my hands every day. That means he's confessing his sins, living righteously, ripping things out of his life that didn't belong there, and he's suffering. He's not getting ahead as fast financially. He's plagued and chastened in his heart every morning as the Lord reminds him, you know, you are not perfect. You are not serving me with the zeal that you could be. He's, I'm chastened. I'm afflicted. They're fat and happy. Why, Lord? Why, Lord? And then he goes into church as Chris perfectly explained to you all that he went into church and found out the longer-term view of things. Right. That God's going to destroy the wicked and He's going to take David. He's going to lead, He's going to lead Asaph all of his life by His hand and then receive him up into glory. Oh, that's pretty nice. When God takes us by the hand and leads us to the promised land and then we live with Him forever, 
compared to the wicked being destroyed as in a moment. A few thoughts about afflictions. We'll have a few more after our break. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen. Amen.